Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. In a time of confusion and chains of legalism, a message of hope and liberation was penned. From the heart of the Apostle Paul to the believers in Galatia comes a timeless letter echoing through the ages. The book of Galatians, a profound epistle where the truth of the gospel shines forth, proclaiming liberty to every captive soul. Here, Paul confronts the distortions of the true gospel, challenging believers then and now to stand firm in this profound truth. It is for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Join us as we journey through this powerful epistle, uncovering the essence of true freedom in Christ. Dive deep into the heart of Paul's message to the Galatians as we discover the path to true freedom. Amen. Amen. I'm just thankful for people who create art like that. That's that's art. I don't know, like any movie buff fans, epic movie stuff, come on, the church should be good at that stuff. So I'm excited. And I am thankful this morning that we are um, all together, that you chose to be here today. I want to just jump straight in because I don't have a lack of notes. I have a copious amounts of notes today. And if I can just turn to the right page, we'll be good. I want to go ahead and recap last week quickly. Uh, if you were not here, I can tell you it was great. The speaker did a great job. You can watch it on YouTube. Uh, and so uh, it was jumping into the whole book of Galatians. And I want to do a quick recap of that. But also want to encourage you that you have a unique opportunity as the resting place in that as a multi-campus church with in-person speakers at every campus. Right now this morning, Wesley Chapel, Pastor Eric is preaching out of Galatians chapter 2. And Carolwood, Joel is preaching out of Galatians chapter 2. And that's the only guidance we really agree on. And they can preach whatever they want out of that chapter. And I can preach whatever I want, whatever the Lord shows us. So you get a unique uh, access to multiple views on the same passages if you access the podcast. So I want to encourage you to do that. You can access that on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, we're the only one with a video uh, to watch, but you can listen to the messages from the other campuses. I don't want to encourage you to do, to do that. If this is your home campus, you're here all the time, make sure to listen to the others. It'll give you a more robust angle, you know. Does that make sense? Isn't that a cool opportunity? So um, it's great. God speaks to all of us and speaks to all of us differently. So you'll hear some differences, and it'll be good for you. And um, we want to just center on this key verse. This is what we've agreed on as campuses, as campus overseers. We've agreed on this key verse, Galatians 5.1, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us. Come on, help me. Free. Do not submit, therefore, to any yoke of slavery. That's the verse. We want you to memorize that verse at least. And we're going to read all of the verses, but I want you to memorize that one. That is the main thread we see pulling through this book. It's the main thread the Lord wants us to highlight through this book, this letter, this time. Okay, does that make sense? Awesome. So I'm going to do a quick recap. We're going to pray, and then I'm going to jump into a message that's going to tick some of you off. Hallelujah. All right. <clears throat> We're just going. All right. It's just, anyway, uh, the first chapter of Galatians we went through, and we saw how Paul was astonished. He was shocked at how quickly they were deserting the real thing. 
They were going to a perversion of the gospel. Okay, they had let go of it, and he said, there is no other gospel, and yet you've, you've embraced another one. And it was astonishing to him. He went into how the gospel he preached is of divine origin. It's not man's gospel. And yet he called it his gospel three other places in the New Testament. He said, this is not from man, but it is mine. And he says, if anybody preaches to you another gospel, even if I come and change my mind, he said, even if I or an angel come and preach to you something different, let God's curse be upon him. He precursed himself, okay, to, to keep him from preaching another gospel. That's how serious he took this. Does that make sense? Come on. But he said it's from the Lord. It's straight from God. And he went into, the, we went into the core of that gospel. What does he mean by my gospel? What is the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is the center of the gospel. And there are impacts off of that reality. It's not just we believe and we're going to heaven. It says he reconciled the whole world unto himself and overcame spiritual principalities. Are you with me so far? Okay, this is just the recap. So take a deep breath. <laughs> and we talked about how it's not just about you being saved. It's about him reconciling the world, which the word is cosmos, to himself. All things to himself. Massive. Massive implications. Amen. And finally, we refuted some distorted gospels. We talked about some other gospels that are preached in the church today and then the true gospel. And if you missed it, that's a brief overview. I want you to go back and listen to it. But today, we're going into Galatians part two. And there has been a handful of times where I've been, I've been nervous plenty of times to preach, okay? I've actually, it's a, it's a well-known story. My first Sunday morning heading to the rest of the place on I-75, I had to pull over to vomit. I mean, my wife, unbeknownst to me, got it on camera, video, so there's evidence. It's great. And... <laughs> <laughs> but there's been only a few times where I had what I would call fear and trembling, like actual fear and trembling on the inside, and today's one of those days where I'm just like, we'll see if I have a job after this, all right? So this, the title of my message today is Condemning Self-Righteous Pride, and it's straight out of the text. I didn't write the letter. It's not my fault, okay? I'm just going to read you the letter. And then we're going to talk through what it says, okay? Okay. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your written word. Come on, somebody. We thank you for your Bible. We thank you, God. We also thank you for your rhema word, your spoken word, where you breathe on these words. God, we ask these would not be dead letters, Lord, written in ink, but they would be living words written on our heart. Lord, that we would feel your breath on our face as we read this today. God, make it come alive to us. We, I ask, God, for your voice to be heard in my voice. I ask for your conviction to come. I ask for you to give great grace for repentance today to your church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Click. All right, chapter 2. Here we go. It says, I'm reading out of the ESV. Sorry, I didn't warn you. I'm reading out of the ESV. I'm going to read from my paper Bible first because I want you to hear it. You can read from your Bible. That's fine. But we don't have it on the screens, okay? So I want you to read it in your own Bible or listen uh, in some capacity. I'm reading out of the ESV. It says, chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Pause. Whenever it says then or therefore, you need to know what the then is in reference to, okay? So 
the chapter headings were not there in the original letter. This is a letter that Paul wrote, okay? And those chapter headings were not there. We put those in to categorize things and put numbers next to the verses. You need to understand it's one flowing letter, okay? So he's referring to, he, the, back in verse 18, he says, after three years of not consulting with anyone, he went to Jerusalem, right? And then he just did his own thing. And after 14 years, he went back to Jerusalem. So thir after three years of having his encounter on the road to Damascus, Damascus, he gets knocked off his high horse, right? He gets kicked onto his donkey, onto his butt, off his donkey, onto his butt. Sorry, hopefully you get the reference. And he is blinded, and then a prophet comes, his scales fall off, and he waits three years to talk to Peter. And then he does his ministry and comes back 14 years later, okay? And this is what it's referring to. It says, I went up, verse 2, because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So he's saying, I wanted to make sure that the revelation I had matched with them because he was taught the gospel by Jesus himself. This is a great act of humility for him to do. He could have just been like, ah, I'm going to do my own thing. No, he wanted to make sure that he fit the, the same thing, that he was preaching the same gospel, okay? Verse 3, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. It says, verse 4, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Did you hear that? False brothers slipped in and were trying to pervert the gospel. If it could happen then, it can happen now. We're going to see if there's any false brothers here today because you're going to be really angry with me. We're going to find out. I told you to buckle up. Verse 6. And from those who seemed influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Again, this isn't a humble brag. He's saying it checked out. <laughs> He's saying what, God, what Christ showed me individually matched them. They didn't have to add anything. I wasn't missing anything. Do you hear this? So this is important for where we're going, okay? On the contrary, verse 7, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship. I'm sorry. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So right there we see that some people are called to certain people. Other people are called to other people. All right? And so if you're here or you're at this church and you're like, I just can't get down with that dude. All right? That's fine. Hallelujah. Please go find your people. I welcome you to find your people quickly. That's good. Quit bothering me and find your people. <laughs> we get this idea that we need to be, because Paul said, I became all things to all people that I might win some. We misconstrue that to say that we need to be, you know, placate to the masses. We need to make sure it's put, it, put the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can get them. That's not my jam, bro. I'm not speaking to everybody. I'm speaking to some. And if God has called me to you, then it will resonate. If he hasn't, that's okay. Amen? Is this freeing to anyone? Like, it's good. It's fine. Okay. It's not like you're leaving the faith. 
if you don't come to this congregation. What the heck? I mean, seriously, it's like what that means is we're not in gangs, you know what I mean? Churches aren't gangs. You can, you know, okay. I believe in committing to a local congregation. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, sir, Paul had a, had a ministry to a certain people, to the uncircumcised. Peter didn't. Are you with me? And that's good. That's ordained. Those are ordained segregations by God. They're really not keeping people away. They're calling all people in through different modes of ministry. Are you hearing me? Okay. All right. That was the intro and all the fun parts. Are you ready? Verse 11 is where it gets spicy. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Get the picture. He says, I went to Jerusalem three years, and then he came back to Jerusalem, checked in, everything's good. And then Peter, Cephas is his original name, came to Antioch where Paul was. Paul's home base was Antioch. All right? So now Peter's coming to Paul's home base. And he opposes him to his face because he stood condemned. Why? Verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. I just have to say it. That's not a party I want to go to. All right. So <laughs> that's not what that means. It's just a bad church joke. Anyway, he was fearing the Jews, okay? Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, quote, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He called him a hypocrite in front of everybody. You know how popular that would be today? Like, that doesn't sound very Christ-like. <laughs> Maybe you've got Jesus in your image. Just maybe. He goes on. He didn't stop there. He kept, the smackdown kept coming, all right? He, he elaborates. He goes, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not, listen, not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Come on. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For, though, or for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for righteousness were through the law. And Christ died for no purpose. End quote. That's what he said to Peter. And poor Pete is just standing there like, shook, you know. We're going to walk through this. Let's go back to chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 15 here. Same chapter, verse 15. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. What he means is we are Jewish sinners, not Gentile sinners, just to be clear, all right. They, he, he's the same guy wrote all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, right. That means he's saying before Christ, we were Jewish people who sinned, right, not Gentile people who sinned, so don't get it twisted. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Say this with me. Not 
justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be, say it with me, justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because, say it with me, by works of the law, no one will be justified. Let's break this down. Being not justified by works of the law is a reference to the ceremonial law. You need to understand that this is not in reverence, uh, reference to the moral law or the civic law. Hear me clearly. The Ten Commandments are very still, very much still relevant today. He was not saying we're not justified by the Ten Commandments. No one ever thought they'd be justified by the Ten Commandments. He's not saying we're not justified by obeying local leaders. No one ever thought they would be. Only the ceremonial law, which included circumcision, is what he's referring to. So when you read this, you have to make sure you're not just going, oh, yeah, the law is out. There are mega church pastors violently promoting the idea we don't need the Ten Commandments anymore. They're irrelevant. That's the law. That's happening today, y'all, real time. We still need to honor our parents, amen? We still should not steal, amen? We still should not lie, amen? We still should not have any other gods, amen? Hello, that's the moral law. Paul's not talking about that. You still need to obey the governing authorities, amen? Like breaking the law is a bad idea, amen? Jesus didn't give you license to speed on the highway or to steal stuff. Oh. We need to obey our governing authorities with the exception of when the civic law disobeys God's moral law. Are you with me? Did you hear what I just said? If the law tells me I shall kill, that's what I have to do to be lawful, I will break the law. Because the moral law comes before the civic law, and yet both are relevant. Are we okay? Okay. Neither the moral law or the civil law ever made people right with God. It was never for that. Only attempting to obey the ceremonial law, circumcision, etc., brought with it a supposed right standing with God, even though it was temporal. So they would have sacrifice for their sin and things like that, but they were doing things to be right with God. Are you following me? And it was only for the Jews. And that's why he says this to Peter. We were Jews, not Gentiles, and we know better than anybody, none of that ever made us right with God. We tried our best, and it didn't work. We know better than anybody. Are you hearing this? Okay. Listen to it in the Passion Translation. I love this. Verse 15 to 16. Although we're Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, we know that no one receives God's perfect righteousness as a reward for keeping the law, but only by the faith of Jesus, the Messiah. His faithfulness has saved us, and we have received God's perfect righteousness. Did you hear that? Okay, we're going to move quickly now. Justified by faith in Christ. We're not justified by works of the law. We are justified by faith in Christ. That word justified literally means brought to innocence. To be justified by faith means you've been made completely innocent again, and you believe it. Think of it this way. It's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified is just as if I'd never sinned. Innocent. Able to sin, but just as if I never had. Hello? Justified by faith. The word justified in the Greek means to be righteous, to render just or render innocent, to render as a free man. Amen? So, Paul is here pointing out Peter's sin of hypocrisy. The sin of hypocrisy here. And it's rooted in self-righteousness. 
is rooted in self-righteous pride. And that is what he's condemning. That's what I'm condemning. Galatians 2, verse 17 through 18 in the Amplified Classic breaks this down for us in the brackets and kind of gives more explanation here. It says, if in our desire and endeavor to be justified in Christ, that is to be declared righteous and put in right standing with God, holy and solely through Christ, if in our desire to do that, we have shown ourselves to be sinners also and convicted of sin, does that make Christ a minister, a party, and contributor to our sin? Banish the thought. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Banish the thought. It just sounds epic. Banish the thought. Of course not. Now listen to this. For if I, keep your thinking caps on, for if I or any others who have taught the observance of the law of Moses is not essential for being justified by God, should now by word or practice teach or intimate that it is essential to, did you catch that? If my actions or my words say it is essential to be right by, with God through the Mosaic law, I am building up again what I tore down and I prove myself to be a transgressor. Are you hearing this? So when it says shown ourselves to be sinners, this is in reference to the sin of hypocrisy that Peter was committing in 12 to 14. You though a Jew, live like a Gentile, unless the Jews are around. And not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Here's the implication. He's saying your actions are an affirmation of the circum circumcision party's position. That's a mouthful. I talk for a living. He's saying your actions are an affirmation of the circumcision party's position. He's, he's literally, by drawing back away from the, belie the Gentile believers, the uncircumcised, you know what he's doing? In the Hebraic culture, you know what he's doing? He's calling them unclean. He's calling them unrighteous. Because they don't have what he has, which is the physical act of circumcision. He was also leading others by example to treat the Gentiles as unclean and unrighteous because they were uncircumcised. His actions were saying the observance of the law of Moses is essential to being made right with God. Though he preached that it wasn't. Out of fear of the Jews. Those false brothers. He was practicing what he did not preach. It's just as bad as not practicing what you preach. Practicing what you do not preach. Paul called him out for his conduct not being in step with the truth of the gospel. And it says Peter stood condemned. The sin was hypocrisy. You understand, this is the apostle Peter. This is Peter who walked with Jesus. This is some 20 years after Jesus resurrected from the dead. You understand that what he was doing was racist. That's right. Peter was committing acts of racism. The Jews are one race. The Gentiles are another race. That was their construct. And he was saying, ooh, dirty. Peter was acting like a racist. Yes, you can put that on Facebook and get in lots of trouble. But don't talk about him that way. Read your own Bible. It's in yours too. It's right here, all right? He says, it says he stood condemned. That's a serious word. You're like, what does that mean? Yeah, good question. He goes on to, in verse 19 to say, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Are you all okay? 
I don't expect a lot of amens today, but the silence is good as long as you're okay. I care about you. I do. All right. He says, through the law, I died to the law that I, si- that I might live to God. Um, you need to understand that Galatians is really like a miniature version of Romans. It's a mini Romans. Okay. So what, a fun thing to do if you're a Bible nerd like me is find all the cross references because in Romans, there's more on that same exact thing. There's always more on the main ideas from Galatians. It's cool. It's like an expanded view of what he's saying. His Galatians is shorthand because he's just whipping them. He's just, he's just, boom. Yeah. Do you notice the beginning of the letter? He takes like five verses to say hi, and then it's like, I, I, you are, you're killing me, small. It's like right away. He doesn't, he doesn't wait. He goes right in on them, right? Goes straight for the jugular. But in Romans, it's a little more explanatory. And one of those examples of that, Galatians 2.19, corresponds to Romans 7, 4 through 6. Are you all following with me? You following me, everybody? Okay. It says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. Hallelujah. Come on. In order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, past tense, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. Now, the law of the ceremonial law held them captive. The Ten Commandments held no one captive. The civic law held no one captive. He is talking about the ceremonial law. Are you with me? Let's get this right, y'all. There's some confusion out there. Trying to set it straight. He says, we released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. People are taking that verse and saying, see, we don't serve in the old way of the written code. We don't need the Ten Commandments. It's garbage. If I said the name of the people, you would know who I'm talking about. Just Google it. I'm not going to say their name. I don't feel I need to. Big name people in the United States are saying this now. Whole campaign's about it. It's legalistic. It's not legalistic to not lie. It's not legalistic to honor your father and mother. (laughs) It's not legalistic to have only one God. So thinking on that a little bit broader, the old way of the written code was the way of self-righteous behavior. Get this. Are you, are you following? It's the way of self-righteous behavior. It was the way of making yourself right with God through your actions. Are you hearing me? Ceremonial law was do this so you can come before me. So the old way of the written code is do this so that you can be connected to me. Do this so that you can be, have my righteousness. That's the old way of the written code. Are you following? Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. It says, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. No longer living for ourselves means living for others for sure, but it also means no longer being self-righteous. Hello? No longer being self-righteous and cleaning ourselves up before God. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to have it on the screens for you here. I told you all, I have so many notes. Hopefully your spirit is catching this. Amen. Help me, Jesus. My stomach literally hurts right now. 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22, and then we're going to read 1 Peter 4, 1 through 2. This is the words of the apostle Peter. I'm going to prove to you his hypocrisy was relevant. He says this stuff, and he was doing something other. Are you following? Okay. It's the same guy, all right? He says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. 
that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. Chapter 4, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now, when we hear human passions, we think like immorality. We think, you know, steal, I don't know, like just passion is usually thought of that way. But let me tell you that no longer living for human passions is not just about ceasing from greed or, or immorality. It's also about ceasing from selfishness. It's a human passion to be responsible for your righteousness. It's a human passion to be responsible for your righteousness, for showing everybody you're just a good person. That's a humanistic passion. Ask any human on the planet. I just, I'm a good person. I try to be a good person. That is a humanly passion, humanistic passion. Are you hearing me? It's a human passion to be responsible for your righteousness. It's a human passion to look like you're responsible for your righteousness. These are the words written by Peter. And this is why Paul opposed him. They already went over this in Jerusalem. You know, years ago, we talked about this, Pete. I know what you preach. I know what you're writing in those letters. What are you doing? And then he lands in this amazing, my favorite, really my favorite two verses of the New Testament. Galatians 2, 20 through 21, talks about being crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Mic drop. Right? Woo. Crucified with Christ is co-crucified. Crucified in perfect union with him. This is what it means. That when he died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he was raised, you were raised. This is all by faith. You receive it by faith. You understand? Okay. So if you still need to die, you have not been crucified with Christ. If you still need to die, you do not believe the gospel. If you still need to die, then you are the one who lives. Right? Okay, like, don't stop thinking when you read your Bible. If you need to die, then you are living. If you need to die, you're still the one who lives. And that means Christ does not live in you. And if you're advocating for that, you might just be a false brother. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Let's focus on that. The life I now live in the flesh. Some people say, see, right there, he's still carnal. He's still in the flesh. Just, just face palm like I'm, you're killing me here. 
That's not what it means. The life we live in the flesh is not a reference to the sinful nature in this context. It's the word that's used for human origin. Okay? We reading, we're reading English. He was speaking Greek, all right? It doesn't always work out for us. We need to know what the Greek actually means. We need to know the context. We need to know the grammar. Amen? This is what I'm attempting to, to bring out to you. If you really want to know this stuff, spend nine months in the Jesus lab, okay? We focus on this, all right? We just try to preach the gospel. We re-preach the gospel for nine months until you get it because you've been in church too long. <clears throat> write this down. First, I'll prove it to you, Facebook. First Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Write that down. First Peter 4, 1. Hebrews 5, 7 and John 6, 51 are all references to Christ having a flesh. We just read it in 1 Peter 4, though he suffered in the flesh. Does that mean he has a sin nature? He's carnal? He sinned? No. That's heresy. He was without sin. So it cannot be exclusively understood as carnality because Christ was without sin. Are you with me? So he's not saying the life I now live struggling against a sinful nature. No, he's saying the life I now live in this body, I live by the faith in the Son of God. Now, let's talk about that because... Let's go to the King James Version of Galatians 2.20. King James actually got this one right. The, there's the best translation of this verse. It says, I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. It is the Greek word of, not in. Not in. We live because he is faithful. Not because we attempt to be faithful. It is the faith in Christ, but it's not your faith in Christ. It's the faith you found in him. It's the faith you access in him. It's the faith of Christ. It's his faithfulness, not yours, that makes you right with God. We can be faithful because of his faithfulness, not because of our attempts. And yet many of us think our faithfulness is determined by our attempt. It is the faith of Christ in us that connects us to the Godhead, not our faithfulness to Christ. Did you hear what I just said? It is the faith of Christ that connects us to the Godhead, not our faithfulness to Christ. We are faithful to him because of his faithfulness to us. It's not a platitude. It's a reality. You cannot be faithful to God without God. And many are claiming it. It's self-righteousness and it's pride. It nullifies the very grace of God. That's what he says. Let's look at verse 21 in the ESV. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, what law? Ceremonial law. If righteousness were through a ceremony, through an action that I do, something I can accomplish, then Christ died for no purpose. We nullify the grace of God when we attempt to make ourselves right with God. We nullify the very grace of God when we attempt to make ourselves right with God. We nullify the grace of God when we attempt to make ourselves look right with God to others. Here's my main takeaway question for you. I have two of them. Are you ready? You're still here, so. <laughs> what ceremony are you using to make yourself right with God? What ceremony or spiritual act are you using to make others think you're right with God? 
I went to church Sunday. Did you? I served in the children's ministry this month. I went to the love reach. I cried during that song. Tissue, please, tissue. Uh, this isn't for anyone to see. I just need to get myself together. Self-righteous pride. You need to realize something crucial right now. Any existence of that will only lead to treating others as unrighteous because they don't have your ceremony. It will lead to treating others as unclean because they are not as clean as you because they don't have your practices. Just like Peter, we will end up treating other believers as less than because they do not have the same spiritual regimen as us. We turn into spiritual racists. They aren't as prophetic as us over there. They aren't as free as that. My church is more free than that church. They aren't as mystical as us. They aren't as scriptural as us. They aren't as worshipful as us. They aren't as compassionate towards the lost as us. Self-righteous pride. We are made righteous by one thing. It's the faith of Jesus. His faith, not yours. And if you want to claim credit for it, good luck. Romans 8, 3 through 4. It says, for God has done what the law, what law? Ceremonial law. What the law has done, or what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son, listen, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Whose flesh? Christ. In order that, say in order that. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The righteous requirement of the law that's fulfilled in us is not perfection unto the commandments or perfect obedience to, obedience to civic uh, laws. It's not even an attempt there. It's walking as clean ones before the Lord. Walking in the light as he is in the light. Living as those who have been made righteous, not by our own doing, but by his finished work. And we're celebrating with our lives. Living holy because he made us to be holy. Not because we're becoming holy by our actions. This is all over the church. It's in this church. One person needed to hear this on the front row. Amen. He said that just now. So I know I'm talking to one person. I have a few more happy statements and then I'll leave you alone. <laughs> Number one, we make the cross purposeless when we walk in self-righteous pride. Don't even need Jesus. You're doing it. Don't need a sacrifice. You're doing it. When you consider yourself more connected to God because of your actions, you are walking in self-righteous pride. When you treat others as less spiritual because they don't have your practices, you are walking in self-righteous pride. 
If you're sitting there thinking about someone else right now, you're in the greatest danger. If there's someone else in your mind right now that isn't you, you are in danger, my friend. That is dangerous. And it is deception. If the apostle Peter needed to check his own motivations, his own fears, his own heart, maybe we should too. Today is a call to repentance. And I'm not pulling any punches. I don't know if you can notice. This matters. Paul said, we did not yield to them even for a moment so that the gospel would be preserved for you. Do you want to preserve the good news for your children, for their children, for Tampa? You have to abandon every ounce of self-righteousness. I want to tell you something. This is talking about our relationship to one another as believers. But the world can smell the plastic 100 miles away. You understand? The world can smell it. Those people over there, they're so much holier than thou. Because they are. Because we are. Because I am. Because you are. That's the only, you think they're making that up? No. No. Your Bible says he's the desire of the nations. That means everybody wants Jesus. When they don't want us, we are walking in self-righteousness, not his righteousness. And I mean this for every person in this room right now. Check yourself, bro. I'm constrained by the text. This was not my idea. I'm just preaching what it said. And I make no apologies for that. This is not me trying to be seen in some way. This is me trying to be faithful to the plumb line of God's word. This is what matters. If you walk in self-righteousness, you will exclude the people Jesus says are to die for. It will start in the church, and then it will go out from the church. And it is opposing the Great Commission Would everyone just stand? We're not going to have our prayer team come forward. We're not going to have Silas play. It's either real or it's not. I don't need anything right now. Except for you to check your own heart. Close your eyes and ask the Lord, is any of that in here? Is there any of that in me? And if he says yes, deal with it right now. Repent. And let me help you. Repentance isn't when you cry. It's when you change. And I believe that the grace of God is present to help you change. You can't change on your own. It's his grace that changes us. Amen. So, Father God, I ask you right now to convict our hearts. Let your spirit sweep through and convict us. And let there be true heart-level repentance according to your word. So that we can celebrate <laughs> the righteousness we have as a free gift, not of our own doing. Not by works that any man may boast, but because of your faithfulness, Jesus. God, I'm asking you to pave the way for Jesus to be made known. For Christ and his work to be celebrated and received in the earth. And God, I'm saying, get us out of the way. <laughs> Convict our hearts.
Show us where we're walking in this and help us to walk out of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to have our prayer team come forward. <clears throat> and I'm going to welcome up Zoe, who's our serve team, youth serve team, amazing youth leader lady. And I want you to just treat her like that was the happiest message you've ever heard in your life. Don't be mad at her. Be mad at me. Whatever. She's going to close our gathering real quick. Yeah. I just want to invite you that if you don't know that grace um, that is freely available to you to step out of any and all sin that has been hindering you, causing any sort of depression or anxiety, or you don't feel like you even know who you are, there's a man who died for that. There's a blood for that to wash you clean. And so I just want to invite you, this is what the prayer team is up for, myself included, that we will be right here to pray with you. And if you have pain in your body, he died for that. There's a blood for that. And so come and receive that freely. Be washed, be cleansed, be completely set free, because this is not a partial thing, it's a whole thing. He did not partially die. He completely died and completely resurrected for you. And so please come up here. These are safe people. They are trusted people by this congregation, by leadership, and God himself. And so I just welcome you to come and receive that. And I want to pray with you, Lord. I thank you, oh, God, myself included, just for repenting for the self-righteous pride. Lord, there's literally nothing I or anyone else can do to receive that. You just gave it because you wanted to, because you actually wanted us. You created us just to be with you. And so, Lord, I just thank you for stirring a bubbling, for pulling on hearts inside of people right now just to come and receive you in full repentance for all things. Whatever is coming into your mind, just come forward for that thing. And may he bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.